0: Ultrasound gel, podcast. Ultrasound gel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. I'm Mike Pratz and today I'm joined by Cray Bolger and Jacob Avila. Hey.
1: Hey Michael.
0: Alright guys, I got a little treat for you today because this one's a little bit odd. The title is Point of Care Ultrasound Findings in Unselected Patients in an Emergency Department. Results from a Prospective Observational Trial. This was published in BMC Emergency Medicine, December 2018, and it's an article out of Denmark. The idea behind this article is that the authors seem to think Well, we know that point-of-care ultrasound can be used in certain groups where you have a high pretest probability and you want to do a focused scan of something. But what we don't know, I guess, is how point-of-care ultrasound is useful in a broader, less differentiated population where you're just trying to apply the tool willy-nilly, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. So they knew that any diagnostic test is based on kind of the probability, your pre probability, the strength of the test, your post-test probability. So they wanted to find out the prevalence of these findings in the emergency department so they could find out if point-of-care ultrasound can serve as a meaningful diagnostic test.
1: Like That's the walk-in whole-body CT scan.
0: Exactly. And that's that's my interpretation of the intent of this study. Like I said, it's a little hard to figure out why they did this, but I think it's interesting nonetheless. So, Cray, walk us through how they performed this study.
1: So, this study was prospective, observational, and convenience-based. They looked at their baseline patient population and decided what percentage of those patients were orthopedic, medical, and surgical. They then said we need about 400-ish patients. Um, That number's a little unclear where it came from. And they made envelopes that said ortho, med, or surge with the appropriate percentages consistent with their baseline population. They drew an envelope and waited to see if they had an ortho patient in the department. And if they did, they went and did a whole body ultrasound, if you will, on the patient. Um, And subsequently did the same thing if they drew a medical envelope or a surgical envelope. So one person did um, all of these ultrasounds. They had about 100 scans of each type of scan that they were performing and had been deemed competent by experts in the various uh, fields that they were covering. So what did they scan? Um, They did a four-view cardiac exam looking for the basic things that we do, point of care. Effusion, equality of RV to LV in general, left ventricular function. They did then did a four view fast, not replicating that subxiphoid. They just counted the subxiphoid from the cardiac exam. They looked at the kidneys, the aorta, the gallbladder, and then bladder volume. And then they did an eight zone lung ultrasound looking for pulmonary edema consolidation or pleural fluid.
0: Wow. So everybody, these are just random patients in the emergency department for any cause. And they just did a scan of their heart,
2: their abdomen. You sub your toe and
1: you're getting a free whole body ultrasound exam. Not including that toe, that's your actual complaint.
2: So much gel.
1: So much gel. They should just put them in like a lube lube chamber.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Or just put them in like a bathtub.
1: Those old school ultrasounds where you sit in the the hot tub of ultrasound water and it just spins around you.
2: It's a history lesson for you. So Jacob, what did they find? So um, they found, as far as like their kind of primary outcomes here, um, they were able to perform 94.5%. So that was their feasibility. And they found positive findings in 39.3% of all of their patients. So if you take all the patients they looked at and they said, what, how often did they find abnormalities? It was about 40%. Now, there are a lot of really good uh, graphics and a lot of good information in this study as far as what they found, but what I wanna focus on is basically what their abnormalities were. Now, their most common abnormality that they found in general was cholecystolithiasis, is what they call it, or gallstones is what they found followed by, and that was in 10% of their patients, followed by a large urinary bladder, more than 400 mLs, which is around 10% of their patients as well, um, and a pleural effusion, which is 6.7% of their patients. Those are the most common. And they had other stuff, like they actually found um, a decent amount of AAAs, positive fast, uh, hydronephrosis, Um, parenchymal pathologies, localized B-lenses with the lungs, of course, interstitial syndrome, pneumothorax, and then some heart abnormalities they found was a reduced LV contractility, pericardial effusion, and right ventricular dilation. So I don't know, Mike, what, what do you think about that? the most common findings of cholecystitis and a large bladder and pleural effusions? So those are the top three abnormalities they found. I I don't know about you, but I see this a lot and it means like not a whole lot. Like people have asymptomatic gallstones all the time and a very small significant or a very small percentage of those we have to worry about or have to do anything about.
1: When think about our instructions to our ED patients, like don't pee until you're seen by a provider. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, like in any given night shift, I probably have more than 400 mLs of urine in my bladder.
2: I think I have more than 400 mLs right now. I've been drinking coffee all morning. Yeah. We got to hurry it up, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I
0: think that's a big limitation of their study. Like, they are probably, were excited to say, wow, 40% of these patients, I don't want to call them asymptomatic because they're probably in the emergency department for some reason, but basically 40% of these non-indicated point-of-care ultrasound exams were positive. That seems like a huge number. But when you look at why they're positive it's for things that are probably totally unrelated to why they're there and didn't require any action. So, gallstones, uh, large bladder, which could just be normal, or these pleural effusions, who knows if that was at all related to what they were there for. I actually re-added up their numbers in table three of this article, and it looks like 50% of all the findings were due to those three things. So that's a big chunk of of their 40% of patients. Now, I also, because I enjoy finding these weird little intricacies of these papers, I thought it was entertaining how they made these categorizations into whether a complaint was orthopedic or surgical or medical. So, some weird ones I saw were a pearl in the nose. That was an <laughs> orthopedic complaint. I don't know who's putting pearls in their nose. But if you see that in your emergency department, now you know what to do. Consult ortho. Right. They'll take (laughs) care of it. Also, something called the white bowel. That was a surgical issue. Yeah. Diagnosed by Dr. Captain Ahab. Yeah. I also learned a little bit of etymology because I saw one of their chief complaints was metella. That was an orthopedic complaint. Turns out metella, maybe some of you use this term, but that is a... That's a
2: hazelnut spread that you put on bread is that is that right
0: it's close it's close this is actually a sling for your arm Mm. okay but it's because mitra from the greek means either a headband or a sling or a protection or armor and that is why a bishop's hat is called a mitre and that's where you get the mitral valve from oh it looks like that hat
2: fascinating i did not know
0: that yeah so thank you for that now you learned something from this podcast (laughs) All right, well, besides these obvious limitations that we talked about, essentially saying that this information may not be that useful to know, the other ones are that this was a highly skilled single investigator and a convenient sample at a single center. So your healthcare system may not have people that put pearls in their nose, so you have to understand the external validity may be limited there.
1: I think an important point from this is I think this is a lot of traditional imaging specialists fear of focus is that we just go looking for anything and everything. Um, And especially as ultrasounds become more readily available to more novice users, so we can have students running around potentially able to purchase handheld ultrasounds with their loan money. And, you know, they're doing scans on wards and scaring patients and attendings who may not be as comfortable with ultrasound and causing subsequent follow-up tests. And I think that's always been a fear, especially of radiology, but even cardiology a little bit, is are we opening Pandora's box if we're not staying focused, if we're just kind of going on a, a scavenger hunt looking for a source of a problem? Um, I think we never go as broad as this does, but think of our like undifferentiated hypotension, undifferentiated sepsis, altered mental status, where sometimes we do kind of go searching for a source. And that's, I think, safe and probably appropriate in a skilled user's hands. But I think if the wrong or um, maybe naive to their limitations user has is doing that, that that could potentially cause patients cost and even harm if we think about things like contrast-induced nephropathy, whether or not you believe in that, or undue radiation, potentially even a a procedure that they may or may not need. Um, So I think, while I don't think this study changes my clinical practice, I think it does bring up an interesting point that if you go hunting long enough and hard enough, you may find something, and it's kind of like you don't order a test, you don't know what you're going to do with the results of. Like, this is the same kind of concept, is don't go do an ultrasound if you don't know what you're going to do if you find a positive result.
0: Great point, Cray. But also, I just wanted to add that this goes along with how we always advocate that you use ultrasound, which is in the clinical context. So you find some of these things. You, as the clinician, should be able to tell if this contributes to their presentation or if this is an incidental finding. So I think that when you take a look at this study, where they're just pulling random findings out, and we don't even know what those people were there for, then I think it's it's less useful.
2: I think it's like picking your nose in public, like you you probably shouldn't do it. And because like part of it is if you pick your nose in public and you get a booger, like what do you do with that booger?
1: <laughs> That's such yeah. a eloquent analogy.
2: So,
0: the only real question I have for you guys at this is knowing now that there's a pretty high prevalence of pathology in emergency department patients, does that influence whether or not you want to do an ultrasound that's actually indicated?
1: An indicated ultrasound, no. I would say this might make an argument that we could be using ultrasound to screen patients, especially higher-risk patients, for high-risk high risk problems, so like AAA. Maybe we should be doing AAA screening on any hypertensive patient in the ED to make sure that they don't show up two months from now, oh two God. years from now with a rupture. Um, Or at least, you know, maybe this is something where you encourage this being used in a primary care setting for screening purposes, not for asymptomatic cholelithiasis or urinary retention, but for some of these things that do have lethality associated with them that we're picking up in otherwise asymptomatic patients.
0: All right, let me summarize this article. So this was a prospective study from Denmark 405 patients ultimately analyzed, they found a 40% pathology rate by their loose definition of pathology. My take-home points from this article are that pathology that can be diagnosed by point-of-care ultrasound is common in emergency department patients. But we don't know how much diagnosis of this pathology will change your management or outcomes. This study did not address that. So I don't think that this study is evidence that every patient would benefit from a multi-system, full body, point of care ultrasound screen. I don't think it's advocating for that. So thanks to the authors for this intriguing study. We appreciate how it adds to our understanding of patients in the emergency department. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Please continue. Go ahead and walk over to the iTunes store and give us a great rating there if you feel so inclined. Otherwise, you can check out more about our podcast at ultrasoundgel.org. You can find us on Google Plus or Facebook, or talk to us on Twitter, where we'd love to engage with you. Until then, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> more pressure, more gel, more pressure, more Yes, this is exactly what I did in my fellowship. <laughs> I would just do whole body ultrasounds. I need to have like a hairless cat. <laughs> Nursing communication, Metella.